episode of Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. I have a very special guest with me today. I have Kyle uh, here to talk to me about uh, several psalms and hymns that go along with them. Welcome, Kyle. Hello. Thank you. Um, hey, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Love the show. So happy to be here. Um, it's an honor. Thank you for um, thank you for joining me. We have such a, like, a unique uh idea for this episode. I'm really excited to see how it turns out because we're kind of approaching things in a little more of a multimedia way, which I think is fitting because you happen to run a, um, a very popular meme page on Instagram or have a hand in running it. Uh, why don't you tell people a little bit about that? Yeah, correct. Um, so I guess one of the reasons that I'm even here to begin with is because I am a co-admin of this meme page. It's called I Need God in Every Moment of My Life. And um, we started it a few years ago, and um, basically it kind of just snowballed into a bigger thing than we really thought it was going to be, but now <laughs> it's kind of like a popular God page. Um, and yeah, we just post God memes kind of across the spectrum. There's, I guess we have tendencies towards some kinds of God content, but in general, I like to think of it as like we could kind of post anything about anything that has the word God or kind of mentions a sort of faith or spiritual thing. So it's kind of a loose page, but yeah, I enjoy running it. And yeah. Um. <laughs> I think it's, I mean, I really, it brings like joy to my day. Like every time it'll come down my like little timeline of, of Instagram, I'll be like, Oh, <laughs> that's very funny. <laughs> Sometimes yeah, I'll share the, you. Uh, you just did a, uh, had, had a very funny post with Zach Efron doing the, the, the oh, questioning yes. stance that I really Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, that's really funny. I was like, well, because this Zac Efron kind of is a hot topic right now. Um, I didn't even really want to, I questioned whether I was going to post it, but he basically, there's a picture of his face. It looks altered. He struggled with body um, image before. And um, now his face looks very different. It's kind of a hot topic on Twitter and online. And so I was like, oh, look, there's a Zac Efron meme. And then I could pair it with, like, the hot topic Zac Efron picture. And I posted <laughs> both together. Um, and I thought it was funny. Yeah, but then I was like, oh, my God, maybe I shouldn't be posting that picture of his face because it's kind of rude. <laughs> <laughs> I think he looks uh, very chiseled. <laughs> yeah, he kind of had Chad surgery, it looks yes, like. Yes, it, yeah. it does look a bit like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then another kind of funny thing related to that post, actually, is there was another trending topic on Twitter about the show Girl Meets World. <laughs> and it's really funny because Rowan Blanchard, the star of that show, follows our page. And the hot, like, the hot topic about that show was the scene where they discuss God and how you can't see God, but you can't see, like, sound or light or whatever, <laughs> trying to convince the science nerd that, like, the possibility of God isn't beyond, um, you know, reason yeah. or something. <laughs> and it's, like, the same exact thing as that Zac Efron meme. <laughs> so I was like, oh, <laughs> like, that's crazy, like, synchronicity kind of. 
You have to listen to synchronicities like that. I think there's been so many people in my life lately who have, uh, believers and non-believers, who have been experiencing these like really intense, like how could this possibly have happened the way that it happened, except for some kind of divine intervention or some kind of um, like uh, spiritual magic. And we should always be listening to those things, I think, because there's a lot to learn from them. Yes, I agree. There de- I definitely feel like on a spiritual level, there is a path we each are on and need to be on and that it's unavoidable to walk it. And like when you, you know, it, sometimes it's uncomfortable too, but like when you move and react and make choices based on that, like, I guess you can say higher path or higher self thing, like things start clicking weirdly. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think it has to do with surrender slightly or something too, like not being able to control things. That's really interesting. Like your life just kind of magically gets better when you realize that you're not actually the one that's really in control and that yes. like you have a certain amount of agency and free will and you can make decisions that are good or bad or ill-advised or, um, you right. know, with the best intentions, but ultimately like the way that it plays out is not really something that you can control. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I see that. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's, I need God. <laughs> you know, it's supposed to provoke the necessity of God in a way. Like uh, like you said, how it brings joy to your day and it's really funny. Like I just met my new roommate and they are a person who's from the South and her parent is a preacher and they're kind of like, she was raised in a really, I guess, fundamentalist way, it seemed. And she knew about my meme page. And she was like, <laughs> oh wow, it really hits home. Like, right. And it really just hits me. Like, I totally feel and get what you guys are doing. And I was like, <laughs> wow, like, I can't believe, I, I guess I can believe it. But like, so many people are affected, touched, changed by their upbringing and the, and the faith they were surrounded by or led to believe. Um, and then have a certain like uh, disassociation from it and then always kind of like a reintegration or reckoning with it. And I think like that kind of person really likes the page. (laughs) You know, I think my show in general kind of like leans toward a sort of semi-deconstruction kind of progressive Christian kind of vibe, even though I'm not really sure that I identify with that group entirely. But Mm -hmm. it it is like, uh, it's amazing to me that like people who, even those who have been so deeply hurt by like wrongs that have been committed, um, you know, against them by people, Mm -hmm. flawed people, fallen people who are in places of like authority in the church, that Mm -hmm. they still have an open heart for God. Because I think anyone that has really ever had that kind of connection with God is like, that can't go away. It's never going mm-hmm. to disappear, even though you realize, mm-hmm. at, you know, as time goes on in your life and th- terrible things happen, that, mm-hmm. like, uh, that's not God. The, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I'm not a big believer in the, the like, um, the God of, like, punishment, eternal punishment. That That's not really mm-hmm. my vibe. I don't know about you. Yeah, me either. I'm not a hell person. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one other thing about the meme page that I wanted to bring up was, um, you know, a lot of folks have like talked to me about the show being like an odd, um, an odd way of, uh, maybe approaching 
Christianity for people that aren't necessarily like comfortable with Christianity. But I thought mm-hmm. that the, your meme page in particular is brilliant at this because it does walk this kind of line of um, like pseudo irony and and um, humor and things like that. But ultimately, the message is like you need God, accept mm-hmm. God into your life. And yes. what more Christian or like what more of like a Jesus reflect, reflected way of missioning <laughs> is there than to meet people where they're at? We're all days yes. scrolling through Instagram all day long yes. and and someone <laughs> should be telling you hey you need God, God right now <laughs> yeah like remember remember like, yeah it's very true like it I think like something I I was thinking recently is that it really isn't an ironic way to love God or to know God like even if you are posturing like I kind of believe this across the board in a weird way like Uh, It's kind of separate from religion, but in just kind of like the power of the performance of words is that like utterances cannot like do the opposite, even if that's like the intention. So that um, like, yeah, like love, you can't ironically love God, basically. And there is some necessity for God and at least a necessity to contemplate God by the mere fact of us being alive. So I, yeah, I def that's kind of. That's what I kind of think, like, the broadest stroke of how you could, like, say what the meme page is doing in my mind. But a, The way you put that is so funny. I was, like, imagining somebody in my head, like, trying to say, um, I love Jesus Christ, like, in the most sarcastic way possible. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even picture it. I love Jesus Christ. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> like, I love Jesus. <laughs> It's like you're still saying you love Jesus. Still- <laughs> That's why words words are very powerful, and like what you say actually matters a lot. Even though we shouldn't try to get hung up on words, and we still have to speak and express ourselves, and like you know, make mistakes with language and stuff. Like that's really important, but it's still like that's like words could hurt. They do things. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, before we dive into the Psalms, why don't you tell people a little bit about like your background and and how faith plays a part in your life? Yeah, um, there's so much I could say. I feel like it's always been an area of interest for me, maybe at least like more anthropologically or sociologically interested in faith, although I... Um, consider it in other ways too. I was raised um, Catholic by like my mom's family is Italian and um, where I'm from there, all the immigrants are like Polish, Italian um, and they have their own churches kind of based on where they migrated from. And so like um, I was kind of like brought up in that or at least like the the like late capitalism vestiges of that. <laughs> um, and so I went to Catholic school until second grade. And then I begged my mom to let me go to regular school. And then <laughs> I was allowed to go to regular school. And I went to, I started going to church at St. Francis where my mom got married and it was right next to the high school I went to and stuff like that. But it was a very kind of severe vibe at St. Francis. Like it was like, Roman Catholic, kind of like the most, like a very severe vibe. I don't know how to put it. So we changed churches to this one called St. John the Evangelist. And there it was a much, a little bit more progressive liberal vibe, which is my mom's vibe. 
I'm oversaying vibe it's anyway. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> At St. John the Evangelist, there was a children's mass, and that's the mass where I began singing in the children's choir and then eventually became a weekly cantor for that mass. And the homily was always directed towards children, and the children were invited to come up to the altar and sit, and the priest would do the homily um, like and teach it in the children's way, which was always really interesting because, like, Sometimes he would do like pop culture things like wear Shrek ears and talk about like (laughs) the onion and Shrek and then relate it to the Bible somehow. Like really weird stuff like that. He'd wear like Mickey Mouse ears on the day of my sister's communion (laughs) um, to like make us, I don't know, to like make a parallel between that and like whatever lesson he was teaching. It's kind of funny. So yeah, I sang at that every week and that's really where I, every week would be a meditation on who am I, what do I believe, why am I here? I, but I love performing. So I was always someone who would be singing and dancing and performing for my family and like making shows literally all the time. So like Mm. being able to perform in front of an audience that was kind of big like that was like, I loved that part about it. And then (laughs) thinking about like how the meaning that was coming across in my voice would like affect these people. And I literally would like concentrate on like healing them basically. And like, cause I could tell like as from very, from a very young age, I, I knew things were really wrong and I was like very upset at the world and like saw the pain and everybody and like was so confused by the state of things. So I would try to like, yeah, channel my voice, use my voice as a channel for peace basically Um, so yeah, that was that. And then I did that. I also, my, uh, I also, I should mention the other things because when I went on boys Bible study, my mom was like, you really downplayed your role in the church. And I was like, (laughs) are you like, okay. Like she was like, you did CCD, you did like, uh, taught CCD and like did vacation Bible school music and stuff like that. And it's true. I did all of that too. Like I just was very involved with the church and like the music part, especially it's because I love music. Um, like then in college, I did gospel choir, which was r- different. And I learned gospel songs, which I never had sang before. Um, and that was just another, like, I guess, mode of singing and of like rejoicing in the Lord. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that those were kind of like formative singing experiences that had to do with the church and like thinking about like, I was in high school, I would, I would say in high school, I guess I would call myself an atheist, even though I was singing at church. Huh. And then I guess now I'm not that like, I do think God exists. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but then I was just like, oh my God, like it doesn't exist in those, in this way. Like it does. Cause it, it felt a lot like the motions were happening without any real, I don't know, substance to me or like, it wasn't being taught to me in a way that like seemed true to me or made any sense. And I never retained any of the information. Yeah. Um, And then, okay, so now fast forward, I went to college and then in school, I went to performance studies, which is like a study of (laughs) acting and being. It's not like necessarily just studying like what you would think of as like theatrical performances, but it was also like the study of everyday life. So it included things like gender, religion, um, identity, all those things. Kind of psychological. And it was like, it's like basically it was like social studies. It yeah, was like yeah. philosophy, sociology. 
And like, I was really interested in, I guess, like popular culture and like the cult of celebrity and queerness and stuff. And so I wrote a paper about like altar making as it, as it pertains to like a teenage fan and (laughs) thinking of like One Direction fans as like how their tumblers are like altars and how like their idols, like just idolization, right? Like secular idolization and how it has religious affect basically, which I, I'm still really interested in all that stuff. Like I love popular culture and thinking about it. It like always blows my mind. And yeah, so I kind of wrote about that. That's another, I think, important part of my like religious studies basically. <laughs> that is so interesting. I mean, anyone that's been on Tumblr, uh, at, at least I could say this as having been on Tumblr f- like probably five years ago, but mm-hmm. then it was like very clear that yes, this is a, f- this is absolutely idol worship. This is like people who have, have yes. constructed their whole life in the way that like monks like live yes. this monastic life of like commitment and devotion to Christ. Yes. These totally. people on Tumblr were yes. like Harry Styles, like was exactly. the person they were worshiping all day. And night. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, there's fan fiction, fan dumb, all these things like remind you of like, Oh, maybe then you start thinking like, Oh, we could think of Jesus in these terms, I guess. If you want to like <laughs> r- go back, like project this backwards a little bit and be like, okay, like people were super fans. They wrote and like some became canon and some didn't some like branches of people believe different things about him, etc. And it became this elaborate like practice basically. Um, so Yeah. I I also am a singer, like I make music myself. And I recently did a song called Die on TV. And the kind of the thesis of this song was that just like how like celebrities are like little Jesuses kind of (laughs) (laughs) and how it's like maybe wrong or like how we're all turning ourselves into digital objects online and kind of making little statues of ourselves. And it seemed like the self-idolation that seems like really popular right now, like that whole put yourself first thing. And like, um, so I record a song about that even because it's just like, I don't know, fascinating. I think that's really true. I mean, we live in a a culture that I almost said we live in a society. (laughs) We do. (laughs) We live in a culture that, um, encourages people to, um, be their own God. And so like, yeah, in, in that way, our, our Instagram pages or our, our Facebook or our public persona is like this curated nonsense that is mm-hmm. n- nowhere close to the complexity of the life that we live as, as human mm-hmm. beings on, on a deeply flawed planet. It's just so strange yeah. to me. It's like, it's no wonder celebrities melt down all the time because people look to them like Jesus and Jesus, <laughs> Jesus had a hard enough time with it and he's God. So like right. maybe <laughs> we shouldn't be putting these people on a pedestal in the way that we do. Yes, I know. It's, it's very interesting. A theory I have is that celebrities are a product of technology and they are uh, kind of like represent technological eras almost. And like as technology advances, so all of these celebrities now are almost like prototypes being sacrificed for like the ultimate one, which will be coming when like technology advances far enough <laughs> in like the terrifying. new age. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel that. <laughs> wow. 
Because I, another thing too is so um, Max Weber, Max Weber, whatever the German sociologist, like from the early 20th century, like wrote about the disenchantment of the world and like how as things became are becoming modern, like religion is becoming this thing that is like put to the side or like sub studied instead of like lived and that we're all like becoming more secular or something. Mm. Um, which I definitely see that continuing to this day, of course, with like the believe science people. But I feel like we're also awakening to a moment where we're like, oh my God, like the world never was disenchanted and maybe it's more enchanted than ever. And like, we really need something to like believe and and practice so that we could like anchor ourselves to earth and not feel like, totally lost in this like soup of like secular garbage um that's just another thought (laughs) that's a no that's incredible because like it's almost like if you walk around now truly tuned out of the the technology that keeps us preoccupied and distracted at all times if you truly tune out of that and you walk around in the world like on a beautiful spring day like it is today and you look at the 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 blooming flowers and and the the sky opening up with these beautiful hues of blue and uh you know these trees that are like smiling waving yes. in the wind it's like the yeah the world is more enchanted than ever and it's trying to beat that stupid thing that's in your hand right now yeah. it's trying to defeat your phone so listen yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i went on a beautiful walk yesterday and i saw cherry blossoms sky vibrant green baby leaves this fragrance and i was like whoa like this is powerful the earth is alive and like it's breathing and like holy shit like (laughs) i'm just witnessing something that's way bigger than i could ever really understand or hold in my mind but i don't like to think of our screen life as opposed to quote unquote, real life. And I think part of the enchantment actually does have to do with the screen as well as as more and more information, quote unquote, makes itself known, quote unquote, (laughs) online, we're realizing like we don't know anything and there are competing versions of the truth. And the screen is very psychedelic. And I think part of the enchantment, re-enchantment. Wow, that's that's really interesting. I hadn't really thought about it that way. I guess I get so fixated on, um, the like social media as like this, uh, fake, um, social stratum that we've created. Mm-hmm. This like this work, we're climbing our way to the top and we're trying to be the most popular or get the most yeah. retweets or get the most likes. But like as a function in and of itself, the ability to like look up and I, I use my phone for the Bible every day. I read the Bible yeah. on my phone all the time. So like, It's not that in and of itself, yeah, that it's like, this is not a cursed thing necessarily, but it has to be utilized in the right way. Yeah, we have to, it's it's such a new thing. It's going to take people a long time to figure it out and probably (laughs) there's going to be a lot of chaos. But yeah, on on one hand, you could think of it as like a, as almost a scary thing that sits on top of the world. Like all this information in our phone is a film that covers everything in a layer of like data or something that almost obstructs like the real experience of it. But it's also just another thing among things, you know, that could be used how, however, and it does like very powerful things. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) It's almost like, 
rather than thinking of it because technology is like so enmeshed in our life, it's almost like uh, the way that um, cellular waves and like Wi-Fi are just in the air at all times. Uh, uh, yeah. te- technology, data, information, uh, all of this stuff out there in the world is actually like little pieces of cells that connect to each other in our life, in in the physical life that we live, you know, our hands, our bodies. Yes. Um, yeah, the, that's the, scary. Yeah, the data is like, <laughs> but the data fills it all in. And so like it can absolutely be an essential part of, of us yeah. in, in our lives. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that all the information kind of exists just ambiently in the air. (laughs) We can't receive it, but our phone can. (laughs) Like, oh, I'm like, we don't know the ways in which we're receiving it either. That always creeps me out a little bit. Like it's touching our bodies, like the waves, you know, anyway. Well, that's kind of like God's wisdom. There's so much of it out there in the world, and most of us will never really truly understand it or comprehend it. That's true. But it's just like always there, and the people that are really tuned in will pick a little bit of it up. But Yes, uh, (laughs) that's true. Yeah, I guess can't live in fear. Um, That's interesting. Not not a good way to live. No. (laughs) But. (laughs) Um, Um, Okay, so let's go into our first psalm. Um, yes. So we're going to start with uh, Psalm 19, and the header is, uh, the title is, The Law of the Lord is Perfect to the Choir Master, a Psalm of David. And I'm reading from the ESV again. I think I might switch to the NIV. Uh, if anyone has any objection to that, please, you know, sound off in the comments. <laughs> yeah, I'd want to know, too, because I know you use... Uh, ESV, so I like looked up all the Psalms in ESV, and then it really got me thinking, like, which version is the one for me? <laughs> there are a, an impossible number of translations of the Bible, like really, and and I don't hate any of them. Oh, okay, there's a couple that I hate, but mo- <laughs> <The message laughs> most of them, <laughs> most of them are really beautiful in like their own way because they're conveying the same message. But it's, yeah. Um, yeah, you said message under your breath there. The message. I just yeah, was the reading message. about it for the first time. Yeah. yeah. That's a challenging one. It really is. But it's so popular with certain um, <laughs> Some certain kinds of uh, yeah evangelicals. Um, yeah. Uh, I guess you have to write your own Bible at the end of the day once <laughs> you're studied it enough. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah. Someday there'll be a trans regret Snoopy version of the Bible. Yeah. I mean, it has to be, it has to be rewritten over and over again as language shifts. So someone has to. Inevitably. Yeah, it will be. Yeah, I mean, and I hope it's not like, I hope it's not like, and I've talked about this so many times on the show already, but it's not like the cringe, like, um, youth by extreme youth Bibles of, of the past. Like that's not mm. necessarily the way that we need to bring the gospel into our current times. Like we can I, be, yeah. we can be honest. No, I mean like a it. faithful interpretation yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with made in like good faith and integrity to what you believe the source meant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's jump in at verse, uh, verse one here. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the earth. In them, he has set a tent for the sun, 
which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Mm. Uh, kind of a complicated image, right? Yeah, snaps. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like psalms are almost, po- I mean, they're, they're poems meant to be sung. So they have a certain poetic feel. Love it. Yeah, um, I think that uh, we we lose that a little bit on this show. It's 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 a musical, you know. Like I'm a I'm a musician. I love music, and I always like have a nice song at the end of the show or whatever. But I really mm-hmm. haven't until this episode really I- embraced or dug into how musical the language of the Bible is, specifically the Psalms, um, right? And how it's in the Psalms are they're all joyous. How in yes. these in these poems are like these beautiful. Mm-hmm prayers uh, and and these beautiful songs of worship that mm-hmm. um, it can be flattened a little bit if we don't think of it musically, if we don't put a beat yeah. to it or a, a melody in our heads. Yeah, totally. They were written to be sung. Um, and like the Greek translation of Psalms is like words accompanying music or something like that. So it's cool that there is a book in the Bible that is like a music book almost. It doesn't have the music written in, but people would sing them. Yeah, I feel like there's a reason of all the books of the Bible, the Psalms are the only book that is copied start to finish in the Book of Common Prayer. Everything else is, um, you know, sort of traditional prayers and and mm-hmm. bits of scripture. But the, the Psalter, the Psalms, from start to finish are in that book. And, and there's a reason for that because they are prayers. They are songs. Mm-hmm. They are part mm-hmm. of worship. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Singing is so powerful. <laughs> um, before we uh, listen to a little bit of the song that uh, borrows some language, I think most of the language, I think of the lyrics of the song are from this uh, psalm. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the imagery that they're using here. Uh, yeah. Particularly, uh, David uses this um, this image of the the voice of God going out through all the earth, mm-hmm. setting a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a strong man running its course. The sun is the bridegroom. The sun is the strong man. Is that how you read that? <laughs> the the sun is the... What, say that again? Well, it says in in them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Yeah, so, it's the the sun. Okay, so the sun, yeah, the sun is like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. It's filled with joy. It's filled with pride. It is, uh, like, ecstatic in a certain way, like, or whatever, leaving his chamber. And, like, a strong man runs his course with joy. It's like um, the sun... There's nothing that will stop the sun from running its course and shining its light onto everything. That's how I feel. That's, uh, yeah, that's kind of, that's where I was at with it too. But I, sometimes I get tripped up on the language and in the Bible and, and um, you know, the sort of multi-layered metaphors that they use. Yeah. Um, yeah, bridegroom. I don't even know. Yeah, what, what is, <laughs> we're talking about marriage again. There's a it's lot a of marriage groom, talking right? about, Yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. There's nothing. There's nothing hidden from its heat. Uh, was an odd <laughs> turn at cool. the very end of that that um, first six verses. Nothing 
is hidden from the heat of the sun. Not the light, Mm -hmm. but the heat. Mm -hmm. The heat is what's felt from the light. Yeah. So the sun touches us. I guess it kind of implies touch more than light would imply sight. Oh, yeah. Okay. Which which would bring us perfectly to uh, the song that we'll play a little section of here on... um, on the, the, the show for everyone. This is called The Canticle of the Sun. It's like kind of Paul Simon vibes on this particular recording of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Marty, Marty has a way with melody. He really does. Yeah. So we're going to jump into uh, the next psalm, which is Psalm 148. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him. All his angels praise him. All his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. I want to pause here because the call is not just that we praise the Lord as people, but that the the hills, the sun, the moon, the stars, they are called to praise God as well as they have been created by God. Mm -hmm. How beautiful is that? So beautiful. (laughs) Love that. (laughs) <laughs> the hills are alive with the sound of music. That's <laughs> quite literally. Uh, like, yeah, it, I do think I kind of have an animist worldview where I think like I do think all things are have consciousness almost. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but like, yeah, all things are beings um, made, uh, I guess, from the Lord. And they all in their exist, their existence is praise to him. <laughs> which is cool. <laughs> I yeah, like thinking I, of things that way. Absolutely. Because, I mean, like, I've talked a lot about being, like, an animal lover on the show, but uh, mm-hmm. isn't it wild to think that um, because the Bible started as, like, an oral tradition, like, there could be theologies within uh, animal kingdoms that we may never know because Mm. we can never understand what they're saying, but they are passing along a message that they too 
were created in the image of God. And uh, they too were created by this benevolent, loving, uh, protecting God. Mm. And um, like the trees have their own form of worship. Mm. Yeah, I. that's lovely. <laughs> that's, um, and it's actually really fitting to um, this psalm um, because the song that goes with it, um, all creatures of our God and King, it's based on a saint. It's based on like writing from St. Francis, who is like the saint of animals. So like, I love all the, I love the parts of Christianity that are like, name the animals, name, (laughs) name the natural (laughs) formations. Like, we have like mention them because they matter too, you know. Like humans aren't not the center of everything. Um, that's nice to be reminded of. In verses nine and ten, in this psalm, mountain, uh, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things, and <laughs> creeping things is the phrase that always makes me kind of chuckle in bugs. the Bible. It's ever bugs, yeah, creepy crawly. <laughs> Beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, all praise the Lord. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's play a little, um, a little portion here of all creatures of our God and King. your sun sign uh okay you're gonna have to help me with that is that just oh, my okay. general the sign what, when people well, ask what day what is your sign birthday is. Uh, yeah <laughs> so septus virgo i'm virgo but i don't know if that's oh, okay. the sun like what's the, the sun in virgo yeah okay yeah so I'm a, I'm a virgo that's me okay what does that tell you um it doesn't say much you know there's <laughs> you're you're the whole you're not just your sun sign you're like a whole sky so it tells you very little, but it would say like, oh, you're particular. You like things a certain way. You want to have things organized and you want to take care of people and stuff like that. I had someone, um, a friend of mine was over last night and her aunt was doing like color readings. And um, she like looked up my birth date in this color readings book. It said that my color was elderberry, uh, which (laughs) is refined poetic teacher. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, it talks mostly about confidence and spirituality. and um, Interesting. It is, it's, it's weird. It's like, I feel like the expectation then is really high because I'm, I'm not always a very confident person. <laughs> hmm Well, what, do you know your rising sign or no? <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, how, how would I know okay. that? You would have to know your birth time. Oh, 
Yeah, yeah like but it's okay. Either. We don't have to get into it. I was just curious because when you said you were resistant to like going back on your word, it made me think like, oh, you must you must have some like fixed signs, which are like the signs that kind of once they're doing it a certain way, they're like stubborn, basically. Would that be like a like a Taurus, like a bull? Yeah, Taurus, <laughs> Leo, Aquarius, and Scorpio. That's so cool. Yeah, I really regret. I don't know if we're going to include this or not, but <laughs> I, re- I really regret what I said about astrology on the episode, like, I don't know, one or two episodes ago. I, I yeah. feel like I really came off like... Um, it's okay. You like lumped it in with like psychological tests. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where Which it's is like, like not... And yeah, and some people use it, you know, there's, I would say most popularly, like on the most surface level of things, like most people, some people you do use astrology for like, stupid ends like (laughs) like and to justify things you know that like are bad or something but Mm -hmm. you know when it's used in a more ethical way it's like a tool for basically like self-understanding um and for other things like beyond like birth astrology there's many many applications and traditions so and and the fact that it dates back as far back as it does and the fact that like ancient Catholics were also, you know, people Mm -hmm. that participated and used astrology as like part of Mm -hmm. not just their life, but part of their practice, their faith. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 very influential. Yeah. Yeah, Influential. It's influential. in uh, even like Judaism, it's very, very old. So um, it was, you know, when it first started, there was no distinction between astronomers and astrologers. That was one thing. And the story of the sky was just as much um, a part of the study of the sky. And um, it's a, in my, in my mind, I like, it's a lovely way to um, keep time outside of capitalist time Mm. so that um, it's like a more generous way of keeping time is all. Although there's also a Christian way to keep time, I guess, too. (laughs) But in the end, a lot of Christian time is based around the moon or things like that, like Easter. If the world is like this inspired creation, like this this beautiful thing, if the universe is God's handiwork, Mm -hmm. then the way that the stars and the moon and the sun um, play together to affect our lives is something that we should probably be listening to. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> astrology helps us see the, the, the world as like a vibrant living being that you are not just you, but are influenced by things beyond you and things are speaking through you. And so like astrology, I think really creates a frame for that kind of understanding. And, um, yeah, it's really cool. I mean, it's, you look at the sky, right? The sky is kind of like a big screen upon which like, Uh, So many beliefs and hopes have been projected and on that screen, like move these stars and move these bodies and like they move in a predictable way so that like there are patterns to them and you could just start being like, okay, like during this type of pattern in the sky, things feel this way. And like over time, those kind of like accounts accumulated and became like what astrology is essentially. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess the reason why I was lumping that sort of thing in with like the Enneagram and other like personality tests and things like that was because I see so many Christians now using the Enneagram 
results, mm-hmm. like they're not their Enneagram number, like being an essential part of, of their being, which <laughs> is like, it feels I to know. me kind of frivolous. Um, yes, I agree. Because there's so many of those kind of tests. Uh, yeah. I don't know. We are all unique and beautiful creations. Uh, yeah. What does it tell you more than what you already knew? Like, does it tell you anything more about you? I don't know. Like, maybe the argument is that it helps you in situations where you're not sure um, how to address a particular situation to minimize mm-hmm. you know, trauma on yourself or minimize difficulty right. on yourself. Like maybe in that way yeah. it helps you. But in the yeah. same way, it's like, you know, you could it's just, just that, yeah. ask Sorry. what would Jesus do? You know, that's yeah, that's a, you could always just ask, what would Jesus do? You don't need any knowledge of any sort of tradition or, or any like text or test to, to ask that question. And that one usually will help you <laughs> at least nudge you the, in the right direction. I, I would argue that astrology is just a much more robust and better system for addressing those questions about yourself and dealing with the traumas of your life and untangling your childhood and stuff more than just like a psychology exam that tells you like four letters or something like that, where it's like you oftentimes when I look at someone's like, whatever it's called, like Myers-Briggs, they're like, this is so me. And then you look at their birth chart and you're like, yeah, it's because your birth chart, like it's not, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, that's so you like great four letters are telling you, like uh, giving you a stereotype of who you are. But like when you, when you use astrology, it's just so much more robust and generous. I think there's so much more space for interpretation. It, it likes like the like religion. It's not a religion. It's not even a belief system, but like it you do have to interpret a text and the interpreter is always going to see something different than some other interpreter in it. So there's no fixed, real fixed meaning. It's always through the interpretation of the person looking at it. So it's a tool of self-reflection, basically, is how I see it. That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Okay, let's go to thir- <laughs> let's go to 13. Okay. Um, so we're going to jump back in the Psalms to Psalm 13. This is um, more of a psalm of lament or a psalm of um, pain rather than rejoicing, which is what we had kind of been doing before. Mm-hmm. Um, How long, O Lord? And this is to the choir master, a psalm of David. David was really good at these psalms. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Hmm. Certain ones, especially in these Psalms where it's so sad, the whole time Hmm. is so sad, but then you get this stanza at the end that's like, 
it's bad, but the Lord is amazing. Like God mm-hmm. is so good. Uh, My heart shall rejoice anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Hmm. That is so nice. And we all need a little hope here and there. <laughs> uh. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's all this discussion. We, I think, um, outside of like uh, weird social situations that we find ourselves in, most of us don't have enemies in the way that the biblical idea of an enemy is like a, a like a warrior, like a, a someone who mm. you're literally battling against, mm-hmm. or in some cases like Satan. But mm-hmm. um, so sometimes it's hard to be like, uh, my enemy will prevail. I've prevailed over yeah. him. Yeah, uh, my I know. my foes rejoice. Um, yeah, but it's almost like my I, uh... my haters are shook because yeah. I believe in the glory of God. <laughs> Yeah. See, I also like trip on those parts. There's like, I was, there's some other Psalms too that mention the enemy. On one hand, I could see it being like, okay, so everyone was against Jesus, right? So he, he was so marginalized and he was for the marginal of society. And so in a certain way, every, when people are against you, I could see enemy being kind of, I could try to frame enemy in that way making it seem like, okay, like not everyone is going to know, see what I'm doing or understand it, but I have to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. But then I also see in like practice in life, like so many Christians in America use en- this enemy to paint who they don't like as like against them, even like to the point where it seems like they want to wage war on like other parts of the country or something. (laughs) And that makes me very nervous, like to use it that way, because I don't think like God, I'm sure that God loves everybody. And we have to like, at least try to hold everyone in compassion, no matter who they are and like not use the Bible to kind of like, not as a weapon. That doesn't seem right. (laughs) No, no. But I mean, like the, uh, this is like the eternal struggle. I think most people that fall away from faith, do it because they can never come up with an answer for why terrible things continue to happen to good people. Um, Mm -hmm. And they can never reconcile that in their mind. And that's a a conversation that they need to have with themselves and and if they feel comfortable Mm -hmm. with God. But, uh, you know, maintaining, uh, the most important thing is to maintain this this, uh, position of, like, worship, even when you feel like you're being put upon, even when you feel mm-hmm. like you're being discriminated against. Or mm-hmm. um, the song I actually chose uh, for to, to go along with this is obviously directly connected, but it's actually um, an old like slave song, like a spiritual mm-hmm. slave song from the American South. And mm-hmm. it's called My Father, How Long? And the version we're going to listen to is by uh, a very interesting singer um, named... Helen Bonchek Schneier, and she um, she has a couple of albums of uh, old spiritual songs. Most of them are kind of lo-fi. Um, they're a little odd. Uh, she has kind of this mm. outsidery voice that is a little androgynous and and um, strange, <laughs> but it's beautiful because you can hear the real pain and longing uh, in her voice. Mm-hmm. And then there's this lift 
there's this lift in the song where it says it won't be long and it won't be long and it won't be long uh, feeling the hope of God my father how long my father how long my father song and how it was based on an American slave song. And then I realized this woman is like a Jew from New York. And then I was like a white person. And then like, I kind of like did some digging into like folk music in the 20th century. And there's a lot of really interesting history um, about it and about race and leftism even. Um, and I, and uh, American authenticity and stuff like that. Um yeah, I found a, like I found a really cool like article about it, which maybe you could put in the description. But yeah, it was like really interesting thinking about um, this this singer and how she chose to like cover a slave song. Yeah, as someone who's Jewish, like you know, she's like that. Uh, we don't necessarily, I think, <laughs> someone raised in a Jewish like household, we don't think would be like drawn to these songs of, of, uh, you know, Christian adoration. Uh, right. But th- this is from the Psalms, I guess. So, yeah. And it was, I think it maybe her fascination, not with Christianity itself, but this kind of American tradition, or like, I guess a lot of black people are Christian and used it, um, used Christianity in a really powerful way for like to, for hope basically, and to mm. stay alive. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And she, she, it's funny cause she worked with, uh, Pete Seeger and Woody Guthrie and these, you know, sort of like historically, mm-hmm. she's a fairly unknown name, I think for most people. Um, yeah. Her Wikipedia has not much information on it at all. It's like two sentences. <laughs> yeah. But, but. It's, it's cool that she's part of that. And she was, I feel like since she was born in 1921, it, she was doing folk music pretty early before like the 1960s, maybe revival of folk. Yeah. This was pre, I mean, this, this particular recording that we're going to play, I think was released in 81, um, initially on the Hallelujah line, but she was obviously like in, um, in her later years at that time, but she's only got two, two records. She did one uh, of her own. She did one in 74 and one Mm -hmm. in 81 and uh, but 
the fact that she huh. was playing with these super early folk artists leads me to believe that like she yeah she was playing this stuff in the in the 40s yeah, i mean her, <laughs> her wikipedia says she had a 60 year career right oh, so, so i would imagine like in the 40s yeah like early like early folk music was a way for people to kind of identify against mainstream commercialism because folk music is kind of like oral traditional music that resists like that kind of commercialization. And so a lot of people were attracted to it as a way to kind of identify against like mass media and to identify with the authenticity of folk. Um, and it, because folk music like crosses racial boundaries, like many kinds of people have folk music traditions, not just white or black people, but like tons of American people. So it was also kind of a way to, um, I guess, like take take a certain political stance and be against segregation and against like kind of like white imperialism in a certain way, which is pretty cool. But then like ultimately became kind of like what it was being against in a way and became like taken up by mass culture as a way for like white people mainly to identify against like the bad parts of their whiteness. Yeah, that's really odd because like at its heart, the folk movement was like a return to tradition, like in the good way. In the way of like, yeah. we, are, we are lovely, like we are all shared human beings. This land is your land. This land is my yeah. land. You know, it's it not. Has it, good, <laughs> it has a good heart to it, but yeah. it also kind of perpetuates something, some violence in a certain way, in my opinion. It is like many things, especially music, which like American the American music industry is racist and like, it's just like part of basically time and culture. It's like inescapable basically is what I'm saying. So I'm not like knocking them for doing it. It's just like of note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you're part of a system that's already flawed, then you yeah, will be there's flawed. something racially a little bit wonky to it. And in probably in the time it was happening felt was you know we're I'm looking at it in this movement in hindsight obviously but um yeah that's all I like yeah it just like concerned me a little bit so I like started I like read this article about it right before <laughs> uh, we did this today no it's really I mean it's really interesting because um there are different folk like grew out of this well, this is becoming an entirely different conversation but folk grew out, <laughs> folk grew out of this uh this like multifaceted tradition uh it, you know it did borrow or essentially steal i guess from like uh southern like slave songs and things like that but it was also taking from like celtic music and um traditional mm -hmm. kind of like german folk and stuff like that so there was all kinds yeah. of places where american folk yeah exactly like america yeah. it, it is yeah. this melting pot of bizarre but because again it exists in a in a society that is deeply yes, flawed. Exactly. <laughs> it too will yeah. carry those things with it. Yeah. There's like a utopian vision to it that doesn't necessarily come true. <laughs> <laughs> and instead, like, I feel like it gets usurped back into the thing that they were trying to identify against, but could it, it, it was like, you know, I don't know. That's all. Um, but yeah, the song, I, the song, I, 
appreciate folk artists and that movement still, even though there are like, I have some issues with it, I guess, when you think about like using slaves, like recording slave songs and then being the recording of that song, which which prevails through time or something. It's like very, I don't know, creepy and reminds reminds me even that as a country, America has not atoned for what it's done and needs to pay reparations basically because just like singing your land is our land or our land is your land or something isn't like <laughs> fixing anything. <laughs> no, yeah, the 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 um you've got the right idea. But yeah, yeah and and you know, I mean that kind of like resonates with the message of the song itself is like yeah. how much longer, how much longer, it won't be long, but ultimately like we have the potential to be forgiven and to be loved again and to, to but it, yeah, sometimes it takes that it's time. Really good. Some things are painful. Yeah. Some things take a lot of time and, and unraveling yeah. uh, centuries of uh, injustice take a, yeah. takes a lot of time. <laughs> That's uh, true. And it's very uncomfortable. It's very yeah. uncomfortable. Like, yeah, that's true. Like, it could feel like forever, but I guess our lifetimes, you know, are short <laughs> in the the grand scheme of things. Absolutely. In the grand scheme of things, we are blips on the radar. Yeah. Um, but you know who wasn't? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus who? Christ. <laughs> oh, my God. No. Yeah. Not a blip. At, like more than a blip, like a glitch almost, <laughs> like altered everything that came after him. Um in a huge way, yeah, more than just a blip, like I would say, maybe a huge mark with a marker. <laughs> <laughs> this was going to bring me to the next song that we were going to talk about. Um, we're going to skip ahead, actually, out of Psalms for a second uh, to a, a, a short verse from Luke uh, in the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, the angels come. Um I guess I'll just read from 8 through 14. Luke 2, 8 through 14. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace among those with whom he is pleased. The image there is just incredible, right? We're thinking like you've got one. I'm picturing like one angel like on a stage with like a curtain. And he's okay. like, he's like rapping at people. Like he's getting, he's like getting going. He's like vibing. He's like, don't worry, we got this. And then all of a sudden <laughs> the curtain comes up and there's a choir behind him and he's rocking mm. out. <laughs> yes, I guess. Yeah. Basically I was seeing it like an angel almost like suspended in darkness, like above the manger, of course. And then when the multitude of heavenly hosts, I kind of saw it as like, fog or mist kind of evaporating and revealing like a huge like 
crowd of angels going like as far as you could see in the sky <laughs> oh gosh i love that so much <laughs> it's like whoa you know like something big just happened <laughs> um so there's a song um that obviously connects with this and we're coming back to marty haugen again um mm-hmm. because i think his work as far as someone who like you and i having been raised mm-hmm. in a catholic setting like mm-hmm. this is music that I mean, the origins are like ancient, but like this mm-hmm. was not released a long time ago. This was released in right. the 70s. Yes, that's cra- I always thought that how crazy that was to me. Like, how will this music last forever? <laughs> you know, like as long as Catholic churches exist, will they just keep using Marty? Like, <laughs> it's that's pretty If so, then that's very significant time. Like, uh, you know, I don't know. His songs are are really good. Um, his and I sing a lot of his songs. To, yeah, I mean, it's it, yeah. you hear them absolutely everywhere in in Catholic churches, and yeah. it's because the melodies are beautiful, and and the instrumentation is, from what I understand, not insanely complicated. And it's, yeah, simple. Yeah, it's it's simple. It's beautiful. It's a little folky. To go back it to is. the folk thing, it's a little folky. Um, I like that. I always liked that about it as a young person (laughs) I felt like okay like you know it's it felt I don't know I guess free and cool sometimes like the canticle of the sun for instance I was always like this is a jam I feel like (laughs) you know I feel like praise I feel like rolling in a field right now and like giggling under the sun you know (laughs) yeah it reminds me of like um just last night I was listening to the incredible string band who were like mm-hmm. sort of pseudo-spiritual uh, acid folk, you know, singers mm-hmm. in the late 60s and early 70s. And um, all kinds of crazy stories about them, by the way. If you look them up on your own, if you want to, because they are okay. really interesting. There was one of the members that wound up disappearing into the Arizona desert and and never was heard from again. Um, oh, no. and, then, and then there's these rumors that people saw her. Uh, uh, Licorice McKechnie is her name, and she. Um, the people have been saying like, "Yeah, we saw there was a there was a licky sighting somewhere." And um, I mean, the whole thing is just really wild. One of them wound up being becoming a Scientologist. It, oh, cool! Fascinating yeah, background. <laughs> I, I opened a tab, so I'll but definitely be looking into that. There are certain songs of theirs that actually kind of give me the same vibes as this. Um, this specifically the stuff like the massive remembrance, which mm-hmm. has this like flutes and, um, you know, wood blocks and, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's vibes, you know, to, for lack vibe. of a better word, it's just vibes. <laughs> well, my church actually would sing massive creation. Oh, wow. So I'm not sure we've probably done massive remembrance, but definitely more rarely because the massive creation is the, is the one we would always sing when we would sing mass. But um, I did I did listen to the Massive Remembrance too because I guess that's the mass the song mass you guys would do more often I think and I really remembered specifically his Kyrie eleison um, which I've actually used I think at the end of one of my episodes already oh cool uh, but yeah uh, let's listen for a second here let's listen to. Uh, from the Mass of Remembrance, Glory to God in the Highest. Glory to God in the highest, and peace to his people on earth. Glory to God in the highest, and 
looks like <laughs> yeah i looked him up yeah okay yeah it seems right just uh just a normal guy just a normal guy with a guitar just a normal guy with a guitar <laughs> it's just his wikipedia isn't like anything big but it's like <laughs> you are so big to me i guess like this publication gia gia which is like what my hymnal is mm-hmm. they published all of, like they had a partnership with him basically they published a lot of his songs for and made them popular in catholicism but he's he is himself i think lutheran is also has written stuff for protestant churches and things like that wow he's yeah. a minnesotan too i had no idea about that um but that he's a protestant and that yeah. his <laughs> that his songs wound up being so prominent in the in the catholic church is it's fascinating. It, it almost speaks to maybe the the universality of the message, and that um, you know mm. these these divisions that we created in Christianity over yeah. over yeah. political issues or differences, um, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> p- uh, doctrinal differences or whatever, like mm-hmm. maybe aren't actually as big as we're all making them out to be. And that um, they're <laughs> probably not. Yeah. I mean, they're really not even like the difference between Christianity and like Islam and Judaism is like, come on, there's a lot in common. <laughs> so much more in common than there is different, I think. Yeah. Then you, then people like really in their minds, I think create these like really thick lines where you're like, we are all studying the same books here, basically, and just, like, <laughs> thinking about it in different ways. Well, should we go back to uh, 139 and close things up? Okay, yeah, let's do let's do that. So uh, the next psalm, and, and I think the final psalm that we're going to talk about for um, the show today, is a psalm that I've actually um, done an episode about already, where we dug really, really deep into the language of... Um, of Psalm 139. Uh, Search me, O God, and know my heart. To the choir master, a Psalm of David, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So we'll pause there because it's a longer song. And I don't think I want to read the whole thing, although I do want to read the next um, few verses. But the message here is an ever-present God and an Mm all-knowing God, omnipotent, Mm -hmm. omniscient, timeless God inside and outside of time, um, mm-hmm. in our lives and outside of our lives, in our minds and outside of our minds. Mm-hmm. Like, he knows all of it. Yes. It reminds me of, um, in theosophy, they call it the Akashic Records. Have you ever heard of that? No, I haven't. 
Okay, so theosophy, I think it's a religion, but it's kind of like newer. Um, Anyway, there's this thing called the Akashic Records, and it basically just means everything that has ever been said or everything that has ever existed or any possibility even, or it gets, it's all in the Akashic Records. It's like the container for everything or something. Hmm. Um, And it just kind of reminds me of that. I don't know, but... That's just like an aside, something it made me think of. The idea of an omniscient, omnipotent, ever-present God as a sinner is terrifying to me, right? Because I know what mm-hmm. I do, I know what I do wrong. Yeah, I'm not happy about it. You're guilty. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so guilty. We're most of us. I won't say all of I us, mean, but probably all of us are guilty. Except probably like dogs. Yeah, yeah, dogs are pure. <laughs> Animals. Yeah, are they're really never just guilty. Intense. I mean, cats can be jerks sometimes. I guess. <laughs> I guess cats. I feel like cats maybe can be guilty actually. <laughs> uh, but they're still lovely. I was just talking with another animal lover the other day and they made a comment about how unfair it was that um satan is cast as a serpent in the bible Mm -hmm. because like snakes Mm -hmm. snakes didn't do anything to deserve that no (laughs) it wasn't snakes fault no snakes are really uh symbolically there's a lot of good symbolism that is about snakes not it's not just not yeah, just the evil. embodiment of evil or Satan or something. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be a funny like tweet for PETA to do because I know the person who tweets for PETA and they <laughs> are always thinking of like good angles to, for these like kind of joke stances. And that could be one like, you know, snakes are not Satan. Stop <laughs> comparing snakes to Satan. Snake Stop. rights. Snake <laughs> rights. <laughs> Yeah, I saw. I just saw a video, a very cute video, the other day of a snake playing dead because a person was like picking it up and it would. It kept turning itself over and like opening its mouth and like hanging its tongue out of its mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh my <laughs> and god! Pretending to be dead because this person was terrified, probably. But yeah, but, uh, this was its defense <laughs> mechanism was not to like lash out and bite and strike and like uh, put poisonous venom into anyone's veins or whatever. It was oh, just to be it like, was like fainting. No. <laughs> I sleep. Oh, <laughs> that is funny. Yeah. So yeah, that first, this first stanza or whatever verse of it is very, just like you said, it's about God being all things. Like not only is God everything, but is also beyond all things. And mm-hmm. like, it's what we know, but also what we don't know. Um the it's knowledge cool. is too wonderful for me. It's not just too much. It's too good <laughs> for us to know. Yeah, I would like you die from the awe it would strike or something. How awesome, yeah. How awesome yeah. it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, let me read the next few verses and then we'll play um, play a little song. At verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. 
Mm-hmm. Metaphorically, extremely complicated because yeah. not just is like night not a cover for us. We can't just make our stupid mistakes at night and act like in the morning we can go to church and, and no one will mm-hmm. ever know. But like mm-hmm. also in God's eyes, that darkness is light to God is mm-hmm. like maybe something hopeful for those of us who have struggled with things in our lives that we feel to be sinful or problematic, mm-hmm. that God does not really distinguish these things. We, we can be loved. We can also be judged, but we can be loved by God, regardless yes. of, of um, what side of the wall we fall on for certain things. Yeah, it's the whole of it, right? It's not like one side or the other. For God, it's all all one. So if also I was thinking like if God is, if there is a perspective, a visual perspective from God, then and night and day is a phenomenon of being situated here on earth, then to God, there is no night or day. It's all the same. Even though he created the moon and the sun, and like God knows the difference, but um, it's not, yeah, his his knowledge is so much greater. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> There's nowhere you can go that God wouldn't be. There is no escape. Even if that was God. Mars or something. <laughs> yeah, like you, we're not just going to build a ship to another planet and escape everything. Like there is no escape, basically. <laughs> um, so the song that um, that we're connecting with this psalm is called Yahweh, I Know You Are Near. Yahweh, I know you are near. Standing always at my side You guard me from the fall And you lead me in ways everlasting there is not enough psychedelic Christian music in the world. Truly hmm. lacking, I think. I yeah. did find a couple of bands that were from like the 70s that were like born again dudes hmm. that were playing psych rock, but it is such an, <laughs> it's an underserved market. Yeah, but what is the sound of, what does psychedelic mean sonically? That's a good question. I guess I'm picturing like Animal Collective. Okay, yeah. Uh, so that's, black I mean, dice, I'm into that. Like, you know, that yeah. whole. Like, I want to make more like EDM, <laughs> like Christian <laughs> music. I want like Catholic electronic dance music because all this Protestant stuff, like Hillsong <laughs> and all these things that you could like see on YouTube, it's none of it's Catholic music. I'm like, someone needs, I kind of want to do it, but someone needs to like record. No one, I guess I'm giving permission to steal this idea because I'd love to see it in the world. Just some fun dance versions of these classic Catholic hymns would be, you know, chef's kiss for me. Yeah. If if you're out there and you're listening and you're waiting for your you calling work with as a me. musician. Yeah. Yeah. We'll <laughs> start a, start a band, you guys. We'll do an Animal Collective style <laughs> song and we'll do like Calvin Harris. 
um, <laughs> in my dreams. But Incredible. yeah, this song's really pretty. I always thought it was pretty. And then I was always confused about the word Yahweh because no one ever explained that to me. Um, so I actually did Google Yahweh for this. And it's pretty interesting. It's Yahweh is a tetragrammaton of four he- Hebrew letters, Y-H-W-H. And it was intended to be unpronounceable, but then people ended up pronouncing it anyway. And so like this Judaism, is one of the names, one of the names of God, right? That, that yeah, people like in the Bible maybe the name, used. Maybe the name of God in the Old Testament, at least. Um, yeah, and it's actually the word is just a pronunciation of these four letters and they gave it four letters so that you couldn't pronounce it. (laughs) And like, if you're Jewish or like, uh, I guess not all Jewish people, but in Jewish tradition, yeah, it's like, Oh, Yahweh is a word that's too holy to be spoken. So is this why a lot of Jewish people won't say God, like if they're typing God, they put a dash between the G and the D. Exactly. Like um, on for I need God. Actually, we have a sweater that says God loves you or God loves me, and there's nothing I could do about it. And two different people reached out to me to say, like, could I have a version with the censored God? Because God, it's God. The word God itself really isn't the word that you can't say it is Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Um, but some Jewish people like take the word Yahweh and kind of extend it to God. Yeah. Like as, God is God. So I don't, I don't yeah, want to like, say that. Like not just the word Yahweh, but the word God as well. Um, kind of depends on your preference, but um, yeah. So I sent them shirt. Like I did custom shirts for them, of course, but it's kind of interesting. That's really that, sweet. Like this song is just like, <laughs> let's just say it like we're Christians. So <laughs> let's just take this word that we were told not to speak and speak it. <laughs> well, a lot of a large part of Christianity, especially Protestant Christianity, is developing a personal relationship with Jesus, and in, mm. in you know de facto like creating a personal relationship with God. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of other faith traditions, and not you know Judaism isn't really necessarily like something that's trying to shield um, people from connecting with God directly, but mm-hmm. there. You know, the heavier that ritual tends to weigh on practice, the mm-hmm. further away I think people feel from being able to say, that's my God, mm-hmm. that's my bro, you know. Right, we it's like a hierarchy. Out. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. It's, it, it doesn't become like a personal relationship. It becomes something that's like I have to fall into line here. This is where I Right, I, it's I like fit. removed from me. Yeah. But I in, see that. I love that about Christianity, though, and, this is what I love about Protestantism really is that Mm. they really do feel directly connected. Um, You know, the prayer practices are informal and they are personal and um, Mm -hmm. your connection with God is your connection with God. It is not the church's Mm. connection to God. I think that's that's admirable. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I think that's nice. I, I would prefer, I prefer that kind of approach because everyone's different and everyone does have their own personal connection to God. And we have to respect that about each other. Mm. Shouldn't be top down always. Like, and I guess the more formal you get, like you're saying, it becomes more top down kind of thing instead of a cross, which I guess Protestantism kind of is a, has an urge to kind of 
I guess you could say democratize, but I don't know if that's even the right word. Yeah, that may not be, but it's like flatten almost. Yeah, just <laughs> in a simpler way. Yeah, to hold out. power more more across. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Well, um, I really enjoyed this conversation that we've had. Uh, Me too. I had a great really afternoon. Cool. Thank you so much for, yeah. for coming on the show. Oh, I'm happy to come on. I'm glad that Ash introduced us and um, it was really great for me. Thank you. Oh, one last thing about my web store. Oh, yes. I was going to say, please do any plugs that you have. You mentioned the sweatshirt. Uh, God loves yes. me and there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> I have one of them personally. They're very soft. Oh, you They're do? very cuddly. Yes, I got it in an oversized. Yes. So I like kind of wrap That's myself in it. That's a perfect way to do it. I feel so comfortable yes. when I wear it. And I really feel yes. God's love. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad that was exactly the intention exceeded my intentions. Um, I did make a code for your listeners to use on the website. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So if anyone listening wants to check it out, it's I-need-God.com. And you could also find it on our Instagram at I need God in every moment of my life. And then on the website, when you're checking out, if you use the code Snoopy, it will take 10% off your order. So anyone listening could use that. It expires a year from now. Wow. There you have it. Use uh, yeah. coupon code Snoopy <laughs> for 10% yes. off and, and get yeah, something so from there. There's a lot of ripoffs I'm seeing out there in the world already because the um, the shirts and, and it really everything is so cool and inspired and people are already ripping it off. So please go to the source, uh, go to Thank the creator and, and, and pick up something. Um, yes, I'm. Really cool. Yes, thank you so much. I appreciate that. I'm glad. I'm happy to bring some commercialism to this podcast. <laughs> some you might be the first Christian. one to ever have a web store that you're plugging. <laughs> yeah, the first. You know how Christians are with selling things here in America. I'm just part of that tradition. Well, you haven't released an inspiration cube yet, have you? Not yet. We need. We. I would love to release some original products that aren't just like a print shop doing t-shirts one day and, you know, expand it a little bit. But yeah, I guess <laughs> I need God in every moment of my life is my version of televangelism. <laughs> oh, love that. Yeah. Well, thanks again. I mean, um, yes, really, really you. cool. I appreciate you. I'm just going to read um, the poem that I selected for the day. Uh, oh, it great. is called Easel by Brian Turner from his book, Hear Bullet. Wait, this is funny because I used to have a podcast <laughs> called Aaron's Party and we would only talk about Aaron Carter and what he's up to. And at the end of every episode, we would do a poem and we called it Poetry Corner. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to think of this as Poetry Corner. <laughs> it's Poetry Corner. Every episode. Yes. I'm, I'm running out of, um, starting to run out of books. So I've been, I've been getting a little creative sometimes with with who I who I choose, but this one was uh, this one was a no brainer for me. There was something so beautiful about it. Oh, great! Nathir loads the brush with river blue oil, mixes it with yellow cadmium and stone to paint a sky made of light and dust, where ravens fly and date palms open in a burst of green, with no trunks painted in to hold them. The shiny fronds drifting like epiphytes in the wind. Nathir pauses, unsure. There is too much heat. Figures of people fade into a canvas blur. Mere phantasms of paint. Their features unrecoverable. Their legs disappearing beneath them. As Nathir realizes, there are no shadows to hold them down. 
No slant and fall of shadow. Light's counterpoint, the dark processing of thought. All burns light in here. All rises in heat as colored tongues lift in flame. Brush stroke by brush stroke, an erasure the sky washes out in blue. Thanks, everybody. Hemmed behind 